All right. Welcome back to the BAT podcast. I'm Howard Swig, and I'm here today with Spencer Trenery, owner and operator of Fantasy Junction, a great high-end car dealer located uh, here in the Bay Area. Spencer, how are you? Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Howard. Greetings, BAT community. Uh, actually, Spencer, you and I have known each other uh, for a long time since since we were little kids. Our dads were, were pals and both uh, uh, dealers. My dad was in the, the franchise uh, new car retail world. Well, uh, your dad, Bruce, of course, was always in the uh, vintage collector world. Um, but tell us a little bit about, you know, Fancy Junction. You guys have been in business for, I think, 45 years. That's a pretty remarkable record for any business, much less a a classic car dealer. So tell us about the origins of Fantasy Junction, how it got started, and and your involvement today. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Howard. Yeah, your dad was a great mentor to me, uh, I just have to say, before I get started. But um, it, the origin of Fantasy Junction came out of my father's enthusiasm for what are now collectible cars. Uh, during his time in college, he basically promoted himself through college, selling a car here and there, and buying another one, cleaning it up, selling it again. And uh, when he married my mom, uh, she sort of con- convinced him to have a legitimate physical business. And uh, so he filed a dealer's license with the state of California, opened a little 12-car showroom on Dwight Way in Berkeley, where we'll have sold a lot of cars for your dad. And then ultimately, in the late 1980s, uh, moved the operation to what many have visited uh, at Fantasy Junction here in Emeryville, California. We've got a showroom with about 50 cars in it at any one time and uh, have been operating out of here for the last uh, 30 or so years. Uh, my dad's still here on and off during the week. He's still active on the sales side of things. Um, the technical owner of the company now. And, um, and you know, we continue a consignment-based model where we advertise cars owned by other people, individuals, or other dealers, and uh, market the cars and ready them for marketing and negotiate the sale of their cars, sometimes on bring a trailer, sometimes through our own means, um, and have been actively doing that for, yeah, almost 50 years now. And there are a few cars in inventory, which we'll own from time to time, but the vast majority of the offerings that the public will see will be cars consigned to us for our representation. No, that's uh, that's great. And you know, back in the the early days of Bring a Trailer, I know Randy often posted uh, cars to the BAT site uh, from Fantasy. Not only because you guys had really nice stuff, but also because unlike a lot of high end dealers, you guys almost always posted a very reasonable asking price. So every car that you listed uh, had a very real kind of market price anchor, which um, uh, was was. Uh, a bit unusual. So has that always been the model? I always thought that was that was really cool that you guys did that and uh, made it uh, much more approachable to not only browse what you got, but also if you were interested in picking up the phone and, and had an interest in a car. Um, it's a little different dynamic to start with a reasonable price rather than a, you know, a POA or something that's a bit more more vague. Sure, yeah. A lot of people have often pointed that out and have been appreciative of that. And it dovetails nicely with our business model where we really try to be huge advocates of transparency and really including all of the data, good and bad, with the car that we're marketing. And 
included in that really to be considered correctly by the correct audience should be the price. And so it, for us, it, it was just in keeping with our transparency model, but also really streamlined the pairing of the car being marketed with the person that should be interested in that. That is to say that if you have a car that was restored and won its class at Pebble Beach, the price is probably going to be commensurate with the condition. And that car might not appeal to somebody who is interested in a sweat equity car that is at the lower end of the price spectrum for whatever make and model car it is. Um, but if if somebody doesn't know what the price is and really can't understand clearly what the condition is, you know, it can cause a lot more work for both them and for us as a selling dealer to try and uh, pare down, you know, who is appropriate for this car. And so uh, there's a couple of different reasons for that, but it, it has generally been our business model to try and price stuff and be clear about what our expectations are so as to save everybody a lot of time and trouble and what they're considering. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, you know, we fired up uh, Bring a Trailer Auctions in 2014. Uh, you know, knowing you, I was uh, kind of needling you through the years that you ought to give us a try. And uh, I, I, uh, it wasn't exactly in keeping with what you were doing at the time. Um, you, may, you may not recall, Spencer, but you, you started to give us a shot uh, with some of your cars back in 27, uh, in, in 2017. Um, and you didn't get off to a great start sales-wise. Actually, I was looking back at your uh, user profile. You started off, uh, I think, 0 for 7 or 0 for 8. Um, and I think uh, uh, you were a bit discouraged. And I said, you know, we got to stick with this. Don't worry about it. Um, and, and you've really taken off since then. You've sold, I think, over 100 cars. Uh, you've de developed an awesome reputation for bringing uh, really some of the most exciting stuff that we list on the site. Um, I got a list of some of my favorite auctions that Fantasy has listed over the years. Um, but yeah, tell us about, I mean, I think for a lot of um, dealers uh, and the, the rise of BAT, there's almost been this kind of cottage industry that's popped up um, for uh, private parties and dealers and friends to assist owners in listing their car on Bring a Trailer or other uh, online-based auctions. Uh, you guys have really embraced that model um, and it's a little uh, interesting dynamic, given that you, you mentioned you're mostly consignment based uh, rather than other dealers that, that own the majority of their inventory. So uh, how has that gone, the, the, the kind of rise of BAT um, within your business and, and how you manage that area of the business? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Howard. It's correct that at the outset, um, you know, we were not initially successful in our bring a trailer model. Um, you know, I think we've learned a lot along the way and we've honed our process and, and sort of tailored our process to, uh, to suit what the Bring a Trailer community is looking for or that the Bring a Trailer community responds well to. And at the same time, concurrent with our kind of learning how to do it through Bring a Trailer, Bring a Trailer has really blossomed into, you know, really one of the, the main industry shaping entities to emerge during my professional career. And so I think two things have happened concurrently there. You know, Bring a Trailer definitely has matured uh, and the, the audience has grown, the community has grown substantially. And yeah, we, you know, we had to learn uh, how to best market the cars through Bring a Trailer. And, you know, part of that involved, uh, you know, hiring people that were really good at what needs to be done for Bring a Trailer. And, you know, Another part of it was us kind of reproportioning our marketing uh, our marketing efforts to 
to pour more time and to bring a trailer. You know, it's it's interesting. A lot of people um, kind of with with just very thumbnail knowledge of the bring a trailer process and model and of our process and model you know can sort of off the cuff say well bring a trailer is available to just anybody who's got a car why would i have you sell my car i bring a trailer and you know there's just a myriad of pitfalls that no no fault of bring a trailer but there's a myriad of pitfalls that a first-time marketer of their car can fall into on their way to trying to create success for themselves and we often say you know when confronted with you know why would i bring you my car and have you put it on bring a trailer we say well if you have three cars we certainly welcome you to to run your first car yourself and we're we're likely to be able to help you effectively with your second two uh because there is a lot to know and a lot that can go wrong that you can avoid uh at the outset as long as you tailor your process correctly and that doesn't mean to deceive any bring a trailer uh, would be buyers. It really means to to proactively supply the complete and correct information about the car, um, and you know just to have good images, good video quality, and you know be really active, proactive in the comment section, which probably is is the thing that I think is most difficult for most users of bring a trailer, but where you can probably gain the most ground with expertise. Absolutely, and and um, you know you you've been uh, you've been off and running since uh, since 2017, and and you've sold everything from a 1994 Cadillac Eldorado uh, uh, to to a Porsche 962 race car. And actually, that 962 was was one of um, you know we had sold some bigger cars before that, but that was really you know a milestone for us to sell um, you know such a blue chip race car. Uh, like that, and and that's not uh, the easiest car to represent in an online format and answer questions knowledgeably about. Um, but but you did it beautifully. Um, so yeah, I'd love to uh, to chat about some of my favorites. Uh, the 962 uh, obviously was one of them. Uh, you probably sold the best 32 Ford hot rod we've ever had. A SoCal yeah. speed shop car that was just a few months back. Um, you sold uh, or, or, or listed, I don't know that it sold or not, a, a Auburn 851 Boattail Speedster, which was uh, quite a delightful uh, pre-war Auburn. Um, and then into the more sporty stuff, a Dino 206 GT, uh, that C7R Pratt & Miller uh, Corvette, which um, was maybe the most significant race car we've ever sold, uh, uh, only above that 962. Um, Tell us about some of those or any other cars that have stood out to you over um, over the last three or four years. Yeah, sure. So some of the higher end items that you mentioned on that list, such as the C7R and the 962, you know, what I'm really thrilled about in both those instances um, is that you know, the cars went to racers. And so often you, people will have sort of pre-confined their perception of the market for their car as a potential consigner uh, to not be suitable to certain audiences. And so in both the cases where we sold those very high-end cars that could really be viewed as collector's items and almost statistically speaking are more likely to go into a collection and be a static display, both those cars went to people who are active racers. And the 962, as an example, went to an existing customer of ours, whom we've probably transacted 50 or 100 car deals with over the years. And he was familiar with the car uh, during the time that we had it consigned prior to listing it on Bring a Trailer, but actually executed the purchase 
on Bring a Trailer. And I have to say that it was the Bring a Trailer platform which really brought to light that that customer was buying the car at a market correct price. And he had become more knowledgeable about the offering through reviewing the comments that were made by some people knowledgeable, some people unknowledgeable, but there's a tremendous number of comments that he reviewed and felt comfortable with. And so, you know, that is really a happy story insofar as it was a customer of ours that, you know, had seen the car here at our shop, had physically been in front of it before, but had not necessarily become substantially interested and ultimately was drawn into and purchased the car by way of the auction. And, you know, part of it is the excitement of the auction, but also is really the transfer of understanding or the transfer of information about the car. The fellow who bought the C7R, uh, you know, I'm pleased to say basically took it immediately to the track uh, and raced it. And, you know, that was an example of a fellow who you know, was interested in those cars, uh, was active in motorsports. We're, of course, also active in motorsports, but I didn't know him and he didn't know us. And he had bid on other cars to bring a trailer, but he has a, a, a kind of tech savvy background. I think his time is pretty heavily uh, impacted. And so buying a car and bring a trailer was really a venue for him that made sense. And, you know, he didn't ever call with questions. Uh, he just really relied on the listing itself and uh, executed a purchase of that car and then ultimately took it to the racetrack and raced it. Uh, so he's already been active with it this year. But you're correct in acknowledging that that is one of the most historically significant cars, race cars from the U.S. period, late model race cars anyway, and definitely one of the most historically significant cars to have uh, crossed the screen on Bring a Trailer. Some of the other examples that you have made, uh, such as the 94 Cadillac um, and the, the SoCal Speed Shop Hot Rod, to some degree, you know, these are cars which I kind of jokingly created a phrase for, uh, and, and I the phrase is that they're collector shrapnel. You know, they're really interesting cars that somebody may have ended up owning while they were out looking for or shopping for something more significant. And the Bring a Trailer model has really created a wonderful mechanism for us to be able to, in a timely fashion, sell these kinds of cars, which, you know, we've been often called a kind of orphanage for oddity automobiles. And when, you know, some of this stuff we get consigned, like, for example, we have uh, attempted to auction and ultimately didn't, but were close. We had a aquatic land speed record holding car called the Sea Lion, which Mark Witt, and I think you know Mark uh, Howard, had created and we sold for him. And, you know, that's a car that you just, we get very few requests uh, organically for a land speed record holding aquatic automobile. But through the mechanism of Bring a Trailer, the, the enormous market uh, that that provides, we're able to sort of pair the guy who wants the low mileage 94 Cadillac to drive across the country to his house in Florida uh, as kind of a road trip and also a casual car purchase, we're able to find that guy in a reasonable amount of time, get the car sold to the seller, get a new car for a new customer and be on our way to the next offering. So it both ends of the spectrum. It's been really beneficial to us. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like one of those, yes, the car is rare and so are the buyers for it. Absolutely. Um, but but yeah, what you said earlier about, about the C7R, I mean, the, the longer I do this, the more I realize just how big this whole car world is and how small we at BAT are. 
And, um, you know, you mentioned that guy, you bought that Pratt and Miller car. I mean, he, he had never heard of you. He didn't even know the car was available. And, and I, he may have been a first time user on BAT and, you know, bam, there it is. Um, so it's, it's remarkable that these guys, um, come out of the woodwork often buying, you know, really high dollar stuff. And, uh, you know, you guys have your, your paths have never crossed uh, ever before. Yeah. It's great for us to meet a new customer almost every time that we sell a car and bring a trailer, you know, it increases the size of our Rolodex. So that's, it's a, a pleasant byproduct. Uh, so I've been checking out your site uh, for many years. Uh, you guys always have a uh, cool new inventory that's, that's posted weekly. Um, but, you know, I've noticed your site used to be, you know, five or six pages long. And now I've noticed it's kind of like one or two. Um, so presumably you're, you're either selling a lot of cars quickly or, or um, you know, can't, can't get consignments fast enough. Um, so I think our audience would love to know. And, and, you know, we don't really talk about, you know, market commentary on this podcast. But, uh, you know, given your, your experience and your day to day, I think you'd be a great uh, uh, person to get your insights uh, on that topic. Uh, yeah, Spencer, what are you seeing going on in, in the market now? Um, you know, what, what's selling easily and, and what are you looking for and kind of what are your uh, uh, takeaways for, from the collector car market over the past uh, year or so? Sure. Yeah, it's true. So we have less cars advertised than we have maybe on average over the last three years. Uh, it is true. Both your, your theoretical inquiries are true. We're having a harder time finding cars and we're selling cars more quickly. And part of that, frankly, is because a lot of stuff goes on to bring a trailer. And, you know, we put a lot of cars on bring a trailer, no reserve, and just trust in the process. So it takes us maybe two weeks to get all the materials ready and the car uh, ready to submit. And then it takes bring a trailer a week or so to get it up or two weeks to get it up. And then it takes the auction a week or two to run through and a week to get it paid for. And the car's gone to a new home. Certainly it's the goal, but the, the, model has shifted a little bit from in previous years where we would you know ask a price that we feel is you know around the appropriate market price for the car usually a little bit above and uh, advertise the car in standard print media and electronic media and hopefully attract an interested party and then when they have time to visit they might come and check it out and then they might make an offer after they get home and then we might go back and forth with an offer and a counter offer and ultimately get a car sold but Long story short is the duration of those sales in that format do last longer. Therefore, we have more cars advertised at any one time. So the, the, the gestation period of a sale has shortened uh, to some degree. And because of some market forces, we're having a hard time getting cars. We see that there are a large segment of the, the car owning population who may have bought their current cars in 2012, 2013, 2014, and the, the values of the cars have backed off from their high watermark a little bit. And so the car values today may not quite be on par with what they were when those customers bought those cars. So there's not a huge impetus to sell. And the other effect that we see is that people are worried about inflation. And it would appear that we're at the beginning of a wave of inflation where if you had cash on the sidelines, at least a significant amount of it, it could actually, the purchasing power could be eroded over time. Whereas if you owned a physical asset, you could expect it to appreciate. So there, there are 
a lot of people interested in holding and waiting to sell their cars right now. And as a result of that, there's a little bit of a supply and demand shift from a year or two ago when things were stagnant and a lot of people were, were losing patience and interested in selling, but there weren't a tremendous number of buyers. Today, we have a lot of buyers. We had, for example, in the last 24 hours, I've had three requests for 275 GTB 4 cam Ferraris, and that's a kind of a staple mid or upper end market Ferrari that you know, people were very gun shy of two years ago in terms of the value progression. Today, it's clear that those cars are going up and it's clear that people are interested in buying them. But today, we and many other dealers are suffering a shortage of inventory of, of that nature. So what we see selling a lot of is really across the board, but we see post-war European cars selling, especially ones that are sort of purchases that people have a lot of freedom to use. So a 356 or early 911, you know, maybe a 911T that's $100,000 or less, or a 356 SE Coupe. You know, these are cars that you can own easily, use easily, put a lot of miles on without a lot of trouble. You can do a lot of different events with them. If you had a nice one and you wanted to show it, Cars and Coffee or Concourse, you certainly could. Um, But we see, you know, people are creating use models for their cars. We do not see a lot of cars being sold to people who expect to put them in static storage because they're forming a major collection or a museum of their own personal. We do see some investment purchases where people aren't necessarily planning to use the cars a lot, but it's not because they're trying to assemble a huge collection of Ferraris or Lamborghinis or Packards. You know, that trend seems to be uh, coming off a little bit and more use model trends are emerging. And so it's frankly a relief because the cars are meant to be driven and enjoyed. You know, it's interesting to hear that. Yeah, it sounds like the, the, the majority um, of your buyers on BAP are, are, are end users. And uh, and like you said, are, are actively seeking to, to get these cars on the road or track rather than, than stow them away or, or resell them. Um, you, you had mentioned uh, customer requests for, for 275s and stuff like that. It's certainly, uh, you know, given your guys' duration in the business and the relationship, the relationship that go along with it. Um, you know, you've got the cars uh, in your showroom and listed on your website, but I have to imagine there is a meaningful amount of, of business that's kind of off market or, um, you know, with your, your best uh, clients and customers that uh, are seeking uh, special one-off cars or stuff like that. Um, I'd love if you'd be open to, sh- to sharing, uh, you know, with the audience, some of the most exciting um, cars that you've transacted or maybe working on now that uh, never make it to the website and, and that are, uh, you know, private transactions, but um, perhaps for the most exciting stuff that, that you trade in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it is true that some cars uh, either at the, at the direction of the seller selling client um, maybe aren't going to make it to any formal ads. They may not want that, or the cars may not respond well to it. And some examples that I am free to touch on uh, that would illuminate that. Uh, Recently, I I had been contacted by um, a customer whom I have sold several cars to and for and gone to visit down in Buenos Aires when I was there several years ago, whom uh, just asked if we would have anybody interested in a really great matching numbers uh, 4.5 liter Vandenpla open tour Bentley. So wonderful, you know, WO era pre-war Bentley. And uh, just a few phone calls later, we were able to show that there was an interested party, 
few offers and counter offers. Uh, and, you know, there was a deal that was well over a million dollars. Uh, Card never made it into any form of ads. Uh, it was not widely broadcasted by us that the car was available, um, just very selectively mentioned to one or two customers. And, um, you know, that, that's a, a very rare find, uh, high quality example. There aren't very many period and most of them aren't matching or have had coach work changes or chassis changes, engine changes, et cetera, over the years. So to secure a, an all matching car was really a pleasure for us and beneficial to the customer. Uh, even more recently, uh, a fellow who was doing a, an inspection for me on a 300 SL Roadster just mentioned in passing that he was aware uh, of an owner willing to sell a second series BMW 507, um, which was well-equipped, red wheels, and very interesting colors, had a factory hardtop with it. And by way of previously handling a BMW 507, which uh, we marketed through Bring a Trailer and ultimately connected with one of the high bidders immediately following the sale, um, I had a lot of uh, leftover interested parties that had missed that car, and including one who really you know wished that he had purchased it and had me actively looking. And so uh, just by way of this mechanic mentioning the existence of this uh, BMW 507, I worked with the seller of that car and uh, got a deal done um, also with no ads or anything uh, with another uh, happy buyer. So, you know, that's a, a in excess of $2 million transaction that will have just performed. And I put it in the truck uh, yesterday afternoon. That's very interesting. But there's also another um, uh, somewhat unique aspect of what you do uh, that's worth noting um, in that you are primarily a consignment consignment based operation, um, but also that at least uh, on Bring a Trailer, most of your auctions are no reserve, um, and many uh, people uh, you know might seem that those are kind of at odds with one another, especially you know coming from from the uh, fantasies background. Uh, as a more traditional, you know, fixed price consignment uh, dealer. Um, so yeah, how, how does that dynamic work with the customer when when uh, you are considering taking their car, but uh, also knowing that that uh, it is likely to be a no reserve sale? I mean, that that's uh, got to, uh, that conversation has got to take a lot of forms depending on on who the customer is. Sure, it requires a tremendous amount of uh, trust, obviously, in our advice. However, we have now 100 plus cars into the process, we have really clearly seen that cars listed no reserve will create a more competitive conclusion to the auction than cars that have a reserve. And I formally believe that the cars that have a reserve, you know, just cars without a reserve will reach a higher, uh, higher successful close price. And that is a an advantage to us and an advantage to the seller of the car. And rarely have we seen uh, what, what I would call uh, cavitation where, you know, a car just doesn't find competition with multiple buyers uh, on bring a trailer. You know, we, we, when we own cars in the, in the unusual occasion that we own a car and put it on, bring a trailer, we're not marketing it for someone else. It is almost always no reserve. And we've found sometimes that the actual selling price of the car, particularly under a no reserve consignment circumstance, will exceed even our expert expectations of the sale window. And so it 
you know, it is the way that the consigner can realize the most for their sale as long as they can stomach the unknown of what it will end up at and the possible downside of there not being a competitive environment at the end of the auction. But you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have an excess of two or three million users. And you know, there is generally competition for just about anything we put on. And sometimes the weirder it is, the more competition there is, which obviously is to everyone's advantage. Yes, yeah, certainly. And it's interesting that especially for cars that are, that are very, very low production or maybe a one-off race car or a car with really incredible history, um, there is not an obvious uh, value. And, and assigning an asking price to such a car can actually work against it, right? It, it can almost create a ceiling. Whereas if you don't market it and you put it up at no reserve, there is that you know, very natural price discovery that you have had uh, with a number of cars you've listed. Um, and and uh, the market dynamics there are always uh, quite fascinating to me. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, we the cars will find their market value, and it it doesn't seem to be advantageous for us to try and shade what that market value is going to be by our expectations. Uh, it does seem best to just put the cars on, and that is one reason why of late we when we put cars on our webpage and show them on the homepage. While we're getting ready for bring a trailer, uh, when we put them on there without a price, you know, POA, the reason is that, you know, we, we can't know what the future holds. We can't know what the car is going to sell for. And you're correct. I don't want to put an imprint of what I think is the car's worth uh, by, by posting an asking price because I'm, you know, I'm not the buyer of that car and we just don't know. It's best to just allow the market to function efficiently and for the bring a trailer community to determine what they're comfortable with in terms of the asking price. And again, I just stress that we have rarely had, maybe once a year, do we have a car that we feel really sells light. And, you know, we're on average now probably doing 65 cars a year or something with you. So, you know, the, the propensity for it to go much higher than we think is much larger than it to fall short of what we hope. Yeah, very interesting. I, I think the audience would love to know, Spencer. I mean, you, you've dabbled in, in so much stuff in the car world. You were, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess a, a semi-professional racer for, for some of your life, uh, maybe up until the present day. Um, you've done a lot of uh, cool rallies and uh, raced at, at the Le Mans Classic and among other places. Uh, what what cars do you like personally? What, what, what do you like to drive in your free time? And uh, you know, what, what cool car events, uh, either, either racing or otherwise, um, are on your bucket list and are maybe, uh, do you have planned, uh, coming up in the next few months or years? Yeah. So I've been fortunate to get to, to run, uh, race, drive, et cetera. A lot of interesting cars. Um, you know, if I think back on some of my favorite events, uh, of all time, you know, with the 24 hour race at Nürburgring is an amazing event, uh, and, is something I've had the good fortune to do a dozen or so times and really sticks with me as probably some of the most fun I've ever had in a race car. Um, you know, running cars at Le Mans classic, uh, really it is sort of batting out of my realm financially, but I've been fortunate to have the opportunity to do it. And they, you know, those are some really neat experiences, uh, you know, running 250 LMs at night down the Mulzahn, uh, I would say that in terms of stuff that, you know, I'm looking to do 
moving forward is, you know, I find a tremendous amount of uh, enjoyment out of kind of combining travel with motorsports and those events, like, for example, the Mexican 1000 um, with our mutual friend, uh, Tommy Stoyer, a couple years ago, I uh, dabbled in the Dakar rally a little bit. So these off-road events in foreign lands really synthesize an interest in traveling that I've always had and continue to have and an interest in motorsports and are really neat. And so I'll probably aim to try and do more of those. These days, you know, I find a lot of enjoyment in racing what I consider to be late model GT cars and prototypes. And in historic racing, it is really an emerging uh, an emerging class of cars that seems to be gaining a lot of steam. So, you know, I raced a Daytona prototype uh, in in the Masters Endurance Legends series and sometimes in other venues where they have a run group for those cars and uh, am getting to run against LMP2 cars and LMP1 Audis and all kinds of really neat uh GT endurance GT cars and touring cars, and I really enjoy that kind of thing. I'm I'm probably more of a late model uh, vintage racer. I, I guess the word vintage still applies. Probably more of a late model vintage racer than I am a pre-war vintage racer these days. Though I suppose if I were asked uh, the proverbial question of what is your very favorite car of all time, uh, pre-war supercharged Alpha eight Cs are probably my absolute all-time favorite car and not because they perform outperform everything else just because they uh when you drive one of those eight c's you feel like god yeah and 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 i i'm with you on, on that and, and back in the in the 70s and 80s i mean i mean your dad would often transact in, in what are now kind of the the halo cars eight c's and and 250 trs and stuff like that but but those were were kind of the, the bread and butter in in the in the decades you know before they were these uh, uh, halo cars when they were just kind of you know used collectible cars that were, were obviously special in in the seventies and eighties but but certainly not the um, uh, you know what they are today. Sure. Yeah. I mean the you know the market at that time didn't have the benefit of retrospect and uh, and it was they were just the cars that made up the market, just like Austin Healy BJ8s made up the other end of the market. And, you know, I think, it, you know, there's plenty of stories about in the 80s where, you know, a guy had an alloy 250 short wheelbase uh, and he was convinced by the salesperson at the Ferrari dealership that you don't want one of those. They're too easy to dent. Uh, here, we could take that in as direct trade for this 1979 308 carbureted GTB. And uh, I've, you know, I've seen, I've seen the, the sales documents where a guy trades in a short wheelbase and pays the tax and drives home in his 308 GTB. Uh, so yeah, there, there were a number of instances uh, where cars that today are worth 30, 40 million dollars, you know, passed through here, and they were, you know, 10 or 20 thousand dollars at a time or 150 thousand dollars at a time. And I think, you know, it made everyone nervous at the time that a car was so valuable, but. Uh, the values do march forward. And, uh, you know, today, those are the cars that are collected by really the ultra, ultra wealthy captains of industry today. And, uh, and you know, it was common practice to have that kind of stuff just sort of hanging out on the floor here and also at other dealers, you know, DK Engineering and uh, Quays of Kensington in London and Old Timer Garage in, in Switzerland. You know, these there were a select number of people around the world that were even interested in these cars, 
locally in our area, of course, Griswold, uh, Stephen Griswold was kind of the, the patriarch of the car community here and was the first to start acknowledging that the cars were interesting enough to to rehabilitate them from restoration. And uh, yeah, you know, today those cars are just, uh, you know, for most dealers and even for us, you know, at least uh, on a any kind of repetition basis, you know, they're really just the stuff that you dream about end up selling. But, you, you know, mostly uh, we're, as people say, operating in the trenches. But uh, a lot of cool stuff has come through here over the years. Well, well, back in the day, I wish your dad had encouraged my dad to buy more Lusos and D-types and fewer LaSalle's and Fiat 1100s, but I will. Yeah, your dad had a propensity for doing a deal, uh, not necessarily at the top end of the financial spectrum, but uh, he loved to do the deal. And so I think it was just as meaningful for him to have me sell an $18,500 LaSalle business coupe uh, as it would be to, you know, buy a half million dollar Aston DB4. But yeah, his interest was uh, was in the transaction for sure. And, and so you mentioned you uh, are obviously doing more business and that requires more, you know, um, more manpower and woman power to help you do it. Um, are you finding it uh, easy to find um, people to help you with this stuff? I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, as I always say, it, it's not really something you can go to school for in terms of finding someone who, uh, you know, has knowledge and, and sympathy to, um, uh, to handle these old cars, drive them around, talk to customers that might be interested. Um, I, I know at, at Bring a Trailer, we're always looking for, for capable, talented, and, and knowledgeable uh, men and women to help us uh, produce auction listings. And it's, um, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a nuanced uh, uh, hire. And, and so what are you seeing in your business? Are you um, always on the hunt for, for help. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's it's certainly true with the case and often is true that, you know, we, we could use qualified people to help us do what we're doing. You know, these days, the uh, amount of data that's pushed forward to the buyer in online locations is very media heavy. So more so than 10 years ago, you know, we have media needs in terms of photography and videography that uh, we could use help with. And it is correct that it's a this little kind of micro industry surrounding these special interest cars uh, has kind of been overlooked by most young professionals. And so it is few and far between that you find somebody who really has an enthusiasm and also the knowledge of the cars and you know the the availability to work with us. So we're always looking for qualified people and happy to have a discussion with anybody who who thinks that they would be interested in being part of the team. Um, but I think just as you're finding with Bring a Trailer as it expands, it's hard to find good people. And so yeah, we're always looking. It's correct. I mean, yeah, very good. Well, Spencer, I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat with me. I think uh, our audience will find uh, all your good insights of great interest. Um, any notable any notable cars coming up uh, for us on Bring a Trailer that you have in the hopper? Yeah, so uh, just approved this morning, we've got a, a little modified uh, two-liter Alpha Duetto that's coming up. We've got two 356s in the pipeline. Uh, we've got a cool uh canadian market uh with a now with california uh carb compliance audi uh quattro that's coming up and that's a car which bring a trailer sold to the present owner who's consigned it with us in 2007 uh so yeah that's just a little cross-section of uh 
four cars that should be up uh, early next week or the week after. We're excited about that. And uh, yeah, we've, as ever, we've got other interesting stuff uh, coming to market through our standard consignment channels and it'll be on fantasyjunction.com. Very good. And, and for, for anyone listening, if, if you're in the Bay Area and, and got a few hours to spare, I, I would highly, highly recommend that you drop in to Fantasy Junction, uh, Fantasy Junction, meet Spencer. Um, it, it, it is a remarkable group of cars they have in there. Um, even if you're not uh, looking to buy, uh, uh, Spencer would be happy to welcome you and, and, and toy you around and, and show you all the great uh, machinery that they have uh, uh, on Park Ave there. So Spencer, thank you so much. Um, You're welcome, Howard. Yep. And, uh, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you to the BAT community for listening.